To solve murders, you must understand the process of decomposition. Australia's newest body farm, the Victorian Taphonomic Experimental Research Institute, is hidden in bushland four hours' drive from Melbourne. Scattered across its 150 acres are human donor cadavers and pig carcasses, arranged to mimic some of the ways in which police might find murder victims. Exposed to the elements, buried in a shallow grave, wrapped in tarpaulin, Forensic scientists and graduate students meticulously track each stage of putrefaction. Today, Det Detective Rick Evans of the Homicide Squad is at Viteri for the recreation of one of his cold cases. A human donor will be locked inside a car, but the donor has other ideas. So begins a facility-wide outbreak of the reanimated dead. The blurb I've just read is for Body Farm Z by Deborah Sheldon, published by Severed Press. Deborah is joining us on Galactic Chat today, but wait, I have to tell you about another of her books. This one is hard to put down too. It's called The Long Shot, published by 12th Planet Press. In The Long Shot, Simone Parker visits her hometown of Brownbeck after six long years away. When she witnesses a brutal bashing, police officer Mitchell Ross needs her testimony. Simone is keen to help until she discovers her estranged sister, Claire, might be involved. The Long Shot and Body Farm Z are both by the amazing Deborah Sheldon, the award-winning author from Melbourne, Australia. Her other work includes the noir horror novel Contrition, the bio-horror novella Thylacines, the dark fantasy and horror collection Perfect Little Stitches and Other Stories, winner of the Australian Shadows Award for Best Collected Work, 2017. She's also written the monster horror novel Devil Dragon and the crime noir novellas Dark Waters and Ronnie and Rita. Her other credits include award-winning anthology editing and medical writing, TV scripts, feature articles, and non-fiction books. I'm Helen Stubbs, this is Galactic Chat, and welcome to the podcast, Deborah Sheldon. Woo! <laughs> Hi, Helen, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? How's the crazy oh. year of 2020 treated you? Oh, well, it's been, uh, it's been a hard year. Obviously, it's been very crazy with the whole coronavirus restrictions, um, yeah. but I was actually I was actually writing a novella with a backstory of a worldwide pandemic. Can you believe it? I think when, so. When this, the news about the fire. So this is <laughs> your like, fault, Deborah. <laughs> I know. I got it. I'm like, oh no, what have I done now? Uh, so um, yeah, when all that came out, so what I had to do, I based my own pandemic on the SARS outbreak from a few years ago, which right. is eerily similar to COVID nineteen. So, yeah. I thought, well, that's a disaster for me uh, from a writerly perspective. So I had to go back and um, completely change uh, that novella to pare down the pandemic. Right. So it wasn't so much of a, of, of a feature. So it's only a few paragraphs now, which I oh. think is a lot better. That's um, so it wasn't interesting. going to only take up a chapter, but I thought, well, it'll be me and a million other pandemic. But you could have got the, the jump on them, I'm thinking. You could have, I mean, yours was nearly done. You could have had the jump on them, but. So that's interesting. Because of the pandemic, you paired back um, your pandemic in your fiction. So do you yep. think readers won't be then looking for pandemic fiction? Will they be over it? Will they? Oh, oh. Well, all, all I can base it on is how I feel about it, and I yeah. am so over it. Yeah. I mean, we've just been saturated with it, hammered by it, debilitated yeah. by it. 
And I you, just want anything else. You want to read something else. Pictures, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, what about you? <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm just wondering um, if this changes what writers write from now on. Like, like I find myself watching TV thinking, oh, those people aren't 1.5 metres apart. So, like, <laughs> will the whole social ch- fabric change kind of? And do we now put that into our fiction? Does it change the way romances develop? All that sort of stuff. Like, it's just... Well, I think we really have, as a world, stepped through the mirror. And I think a lot of these changes are going to be permanent. So yeah. I think over time, you know, it will just seep into the fabric of everybody's fiction in yeah. some way, shape or form. Um, we'll just have to see what happens. It's a really weird state of affairs, I think, really in transition right now. It is really interesting. Um, but so I wanted to talk about the books that I've read of yours. And um, uh, first of all, I want to say your work has a really strong Australian feel, which is wonderful. And as a reader, I feel at home in your stories and I feel almost a sense of nostalgia for country Australia. So is it simply a matter of having a strong sense of place in your work or do you particularly love small Australian towns and the bush? Well, it's, it's actually both. Like, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of locations in stories as a reader. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me, froggy my throat. Um, but, and I, as a writer, I think that a location should be treated with the same importance as a main character. In yeah. fact, I, I think the location is a main character. Right. Um, it's what I enjoy as a reader, so I try and make location a priority as a writer too. I'm very visual, like I've got a background in, in script writing, so yeah. when I write something, I always have to be able to see it, um, and that's why description is also very important to me, so obviously that's why location is important. Right. Um, and I tend to I tend to write a lot of my stories actually in country areas, and I think that's because um, basically I just find the city just too stressful for me. It's a sensory overload. It's too much sight, too much sound, too much too many smells. Yeah. Um, even it... though I'm a city girl, born and bred in in Melbourne, I mm. never go to the city. Never, never. I mean, yeah. it's to a hotel with my husband for a weekend away or something. Yeah. And even then, we never leave the hotel. So I'm not a city person, um, but, I, but I love going to country towns. I love it. Just, just, it's just an instant relaxation for me. And it's very inspiring. Yeah. Like just looking around at the countryside, smelling the air, listening to the cockatoos calling, you know, it's, it's, it just gets my creative juices flowing. And that's, I think, why... Um, a lot of my stuff is either set in country towns or, you know, in the outback or, right. so you it know, has in the bush. That rich sensory aspect and also maybe a slower pace for actually absorbing it, <laughs> letting the yeah, story. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. yeah. So what did your research process look like for the long shot? Well, one of my favourite areas that's not too far from where I live is um, a place called the Yarra Valley. Yeah. And um, that's, you know, east east of Melbourne into into sort of like, you know, bushland areas. And it's it's a very famous area for, you know, it's wineries, yeah. it's breweries, yeah. it's cheeseries, it's restaurants. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's very rural, but it's very um, sort of upmarket as well. Lots of boutique um, hotels and so on. I mean, it's just gorgeous. It's a gorgeous place. You can just spend all day there just eating cheese and drinking wine. Oh, sounds horrible. I really love the Yarra Valley. Yeah. So I thought, 
for my for my made-up town of Brownbeck, which yeah. is um, where the long shot is set, I thought, well, I'm just going to go to the, the the Yarra Valley and just have a little noodle around and just see what, you know, inspires me. So my husband came along with me and he was my designated photographer. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, we just spent the day just roaming around and, you know, we found a beautiful cemetery, yeah. which was very inspiring. That was that, that actually turned out to be... Uh, a set piece location in the story, which was very significant to the main character. I love old graveyards. Very yeah. important. It's the whole yeah. novella starts off in the cemetery, actually. Yeah, yeah. And um, and it's the, the location of the first kiss, I believe. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. <laughs> back when they were in high school. Yeah. Yes. So it was, yeah, and just a bit of nostalgia as well. And there was another. Um, I mean, goodness, I'm probably revealing which house this is now. I'm saying, oh, it's the Yarra Valley. Go, I know that house. There's a house on a hill. Yeah. Um, which tends to overlook the valley, which is, is the Yarra Valley. And uh, I just saw this house up there and, and it just really caught my eye, you know, like, and that ended up being a very significant um, location in, in the long shot as well. So I, I always try, if I can... Uh, I always try to do a location scout just simply because it can, um, it just gives you stuff that you haven't thought of before. Yeah. And I'm sure you know yourself as a writer, you know, when you go to a new place, you go, oh, I didn't realise that detail existed. Absolutely. That's perfect for my story. I'll just snaffle that and put it in there. Yeah. Awesome. So um, if you're selling work overseas, do you adjust that Australian feel? For example, um, Hand to Mouth, you sold to a UK publisher. Is um, there a market for Aussie work overseas or should Aussie writers tone down our Australian-ness if we're aiming at overseas markets? I'm, I'm an absolutely firm believer in that location is everything. Yeah. Um, what I've, I've known some writers who have said, look, I really want to get this work published in the US. I'm going to set this in a US city and make my writer an American. And I'm going, really? Yeah. <laughs> you really want to try that? I mean, it makes me think of The Simpsons and when they try to do Australian characters. Yeah. It, it, it just can't be done. And I think Australianism is a real selling point. I mean... I think it should be. Like, I don't know if it is, but it should be. We're, it's such an interesting place and, like, the rich settings that, like, in your writing. They're... Well... I found with Body Farm Z, there's been some, you know, very, very positive feedback from reviewers Great and reviews. readers who really enjoy the immersion factor of yeah. it being such an Australian story because it's so exotic. Yeah, you can you almost... Know, to I, anyone who doesn't live here. Mm. I know there's like a strong smell of decomposition in the in the story, but I just think of that smell of the forest, like, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah. you can smell the forest. Well, exactly, and the, the smell of the eucalypts and the, yeah. the, the smell of the Australian air is very distinctive as well. Yeah. So um, I, I think, I always think it's a plus. There are probably some publishers who just go, well, you know what, it's 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 not general enough, you know. Our readers don't want foreign places, but I yeah. think, you know, in speculative fiction, that's what readers want. We want to go to Mars, Exotic. we want to go to hell, yeah. we want to go to all sorts of different yeah yeah absolutely we're we're very different to the rest of the world um so how did you discover what body farms were um and uh, was the zombie 
connection to the body farm just a no-brainer then? Like, well, what happened was I'm uh, <clears throat> I I've spent a lot of my career as a health and medical writer. Yeah, across a range of media. So um, I can't even remember when I first discovered about body farms, but yeah. um, they're, they're quite a big thing in the United States, and it's a very, very clever idea. Like, yeah. one of the mysteries to solving a murder is to figure out how long a body has been dead so yeah. you can figure out the, the time of death. Um, and this is why, why one um, particular scientist, I don't even remember his name now, I think he was a Texan, said, look, we've got to start decomposing bodies in yeah. different ways on a farm and so we can study it and then catalogue, you know, the degrees of uh, decomposition and how it, how it occurs. And it's been tremendously successful. Yeah. Um, so they, I mean, they've got about a dozen body farms. Australia only has one yeah. in Sydney in the Blue Mountains right. um, because the, the data from the US is obviously quite different. Um, because yeah. they have a different, um, you know, soil, different uh, ecosystem, and, different and animals, weather patterns. everything, yeah. Um, so, obviously, the Victorian taphonomic one is, I, I made that one up. But, yeah. but the, the, the way it all came about was, I was just chatting one afternoon to my husband about this project that I was working on, and he said to me, have you ever considered doing a zombie story? Oh, no, no, no. But if I did, I'd, I'd set it on a body farm. I mean, God, yeah. how scary would that be? And then uh, I just started thinking about it. I thought, yeah, damn, that would be scary. And, and it works uh, anyway, so well. That's how that came about. There's, there's just so much that's dead there to come to life. It's um, yes. It's wonderful. <laughs> Did you get to go on a tour of the Sydney Taphonomic Institute? No, 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't even consider doing that. I mean, it's it's um. Okay. Well, no, I would. I, would, I, I thought about contacting them, and then I, I don't know. To me, it just it just felt um, maybe disrespectful or something. I mean, yeah. it's a very it's a very precious and selfless gift that these donors. Yeah. Uh, provide to law enforcement and to offer yeah. up their own bodies. Uh, I thought, oh, I don't know. I don't want to be tramping around going, oh, what happens over here? <laughs> like that's so going a bit too what far. I did, and there's yeah. plenty of documentaries about the American ones. Yeah. Um, so, so I just watched a lot of documentaries just, just to get the little details right. Yeah. Like what, what people wear. Yeah. You know what instruments they take with them. How the you know how the donor cadavers are transported around. What sort of experiments they. It's so they interesting, hold, and um, sort of and even the the scientists' fascination with bugs and all the talking about like flies and beetles and that's um yeah really interesting too. I I like invertebrates so. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're a fan. Yeah, a lot of my me and my friends love invertebrates, so it's um it's just interesting. Oh, fascinating! Well, that's great. Well, I I really enjoyed that too. I mean, you know, with my background, um, it's as a health and medical writer. You know, obviously, I'm interested in the human body, and, and I've never really gone into decomposition in yeah. in such uh, in such detail. And it was weirdly fascinating to see yeah. what happens to the body, and and yeah, and and the bugs. 
Yeah. Yeah, the entomology, the forensic entomology side yeah. of it was quite interesting to do get you, into as well. Uh, so, yeah, it was just fun. Do you ever, like, scare yourself when you're writing? Do you, like, come away and, like, <laughs> you're still thinking about the zombie world or or not so much? I I think I try to preemptively scare myself Well, <laughs> yeah. when, when I'm daydreaming, when I'm trying to think, um, okay, what's going to happen in this particular scene? What, what would scare the yeah. hell out of me? And, um, but when I'm writing it, it's all about technique. So, yeah, preemptively I'm trying to think up things that would just um it was really interesting to experiencing the transition into zombieism with some of the characters like we're really deeply in their point of view and we've got an emotional connection with them while that's happening and um i i don't think i've read that in other zombie novels so was that quite um an original sort of uh, take on it for you or had you yes yeah because i was thinking one of the first things i did when i researched Body Farm Z was I looked up uh, zombie fiction cliches. Yeah. But what does everybody hate? What's everyone sick of? I've read your article about that. You've written a little piece about that, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. For um, for the horror tree. Yeah. Yes. Oh, you've read it on the side. Yeah, I've done my research. Um, (laughs) So, but um, uh, yeah, as you're saying, so you looked at the cliches and then. Yes, and then I thought, well, what can I I do that's. That's, that's unique and I thought I will take one of my point of view characters and I will transform him into a zombie in mm-hmm. front of your very eyes. Yeah, it's and, so uh, well done. So that was an interesting thing for me. That was a lot of thinking, well, what sort of a, a, a mental cognitive decay process yeah. would that take yeah. from... You know, a fully switched on, super intelligent, uh, very, very well educated scientist into a mindless, you know, munching machine. Absolutely. uh, and like, I, I, I mean, I hope we're not being too spoilery, but um, there's, there's some really beautiful writing in there, so people just have to read it because we won't, we won't be spoiling things, but um, <laughs> too much. <laughs> I hope talking about it. Yeah, no, it's so very, very well done. Um, so when you're writing um a book like this with a fairly high level of character carnage, when do you know who's going to die and who's going to live? Well, firstly, I. I, I set up my characters, um, my groups of characters. I did a similar thing with uh, Thylacines, yeah. which um, is a story about genetically engineered, brought back to life um, Tasmanian tigers. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it was a similar process. You know, I, I come up with my groups of characters and um, I, I try and decide beforehand at least half of the characters which ones are going to die right and which ones are going to live okay um just so i can map my way through to the end yeah um and figure out what my ending is going to be um but then i just kind of leave it loose and see see what happens right um because obviously while you're writing um you get to know your characters a lot better across yeah. the course of a novel yeah. and um, you, you can see what sort of decisions that, that they would be more likely to make and, and whether those decisions would be the right ones or the wrong ones as far as survival is concerned. So right. 
<clears throat> it's a little bit of both. It's a bit of planning. It's a little bit of let's see how this plays out. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, um, I'm going to switch a bit now to talk about your TV writing. Um, you've written for Neighbours and um, worked on Australia's Most Wanted doing research, scripting, interviewing and producing. And I'm guessing they were really different experiences. Um, but could you tell us a bit about what, what that was like? Uh, working in TV? Yeah. Yeah, yeah well... Very, very different, obviously, <laughs> to working alone. Everything is in a team. Yeah. Um, with with uh, neighbours, um, well, this was back in the 90s, so it was a long, long time ago. Yeah. Um, script writing for neighbours, it was a very regimented affair. So yeah. the shooting schedule was very tight. Yeah. So there was no, there was no room for mucking about in pre-production. Basically, the writing was, was divvied up into two main teams, and I, I actually worked on both teams at different times. Um, firstly, there's the storyline department, which, which I worked in for a while. I relocated to Sydney and lived there for some time. Um, so with the storylining team, there's a group of about you know eight or so people who sit around together and, and thrash out the storylines and the characters. And um, then they write up the storylines, which are quite detailed, as in, you know, scene by scene. Yeah. And then each each day or each episode um, for a week is doled out um, to each individual storyliner who then types it up. And, and then a sto- the storylines are then passed on to the second group of writers who are the script writers. Right. Okay. Um, and they're the ones who have to block out each scene and write the dialogue. Um, but but you can't be you can't be flexible. You can't say, oh look, I'm just going to go off script here and write something totally no. original. You can't do that because yeah. everything's everything's tied into the storyline. Yeah. And you also got to keep a really close eye on your timing, like from memory. Yeah. A neighbor's episode was about. It was about 23 minutes yeah. built around two ad breaks. Yeah. Um, so you'd have to constantly time and retime your scenes with stopwatch yeah. as you were writing to make sure you weren't going too short or too long. So there was a lot of reading out loud. Yeah. <laughs> and Australia's Most Wanted was a totally different experience to that. Yeah. Um, I was the researcher for the crime reenactments in Melbourne and Adelaide, which meant that I liaised with about 400 detectives all up. Wow. And obviously a lot of um, victims and family members of victims. Yeah. And I was a scriptwriter of the crime reenactments Australia-wide. Cool. So, and those, each crime reenactment were, had to run about five minutes. Yeah. And that had its own constraints because obviously it was G-rated. So, oh you know, God. you're dealing with murders, rapes, armed robberies, violent crimes. You had to be very creative trying to think up ways to well, make it G-rated and yeah. not obviously X, which is what it is, or R or whatever. Um, I guess so you can. Can you even was, say was rape in a G-rated setting? I guess you can say the word rape and they assume that kids can't understand it or... Yes, the, the the issue was in the visuals. Yeah, right. You could you couldn't show blood, for example. Yeah. Um, right. you, you couldn't show any nudity. Um, right. You you couldn't show anyone getting beaten up or. Yeah. 
Mm. So that mean that was technically uh, uh, challenging, but emotionally mm. it was a very it was a very grueling experience actually. So um, psychologically, it was a very tough thing to do. Yeah, I bet. And I've got all the respect in the world for police and detectives. I mean, they do a tough job, and I yeah. just don't know how they don't burn out from the horror of it. I mean, it was, it's hardcore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, okay, so um, and now more recently, you've been editing um anthologies and midnight echo magazine um currently you're working on spawn published by ifwg so i want to ask what do you love about short stories and what do you enjoy about compiling anthologies well i i just love the short story form um and i'm always reading collections and anthologies i'm always writing short stories yeah um i i think creating creating a world in, in in a few pages is really difficult to do and it's difficult to do well and I enjoy the challenge as a writer and as a reader I mean gosh there's nothing better than than being transported away mm. in just a few pages really it takes a lot of skill yeah. um so for, for about oh you know for about a year I've been thinking about how much I wanted to edit my own anthologies and, and just out of nowhere Greg Chapman yeah. Who, you know, is president of the Australasian Horror Writers Association. Yeah. He just happened to email me this one day and ask me if I wanted to guest edit Midnight Echo. Yeah. I thought, wow, serendipity. Yeah. It's amazing. I've just been thinking about this and then along comes this opportunity. Yes. So I jumped at the chance and it was a great experience and I really enjoyed it. Awesome. And uh, it won an award too, so I must have done something right. Great. Congratulations. <laughs> And uh, anyway, once I said yes to Greg to do that, um, it gave me the confidence to go ahead and pitch my own anthology idea to Jerry Huntman, who's the managing director of IFWG Publishing Australia. Yeah. Because finally I could say, well, look, I am going to have this (laughs) anthology editing experience behind me. And uh, he absolutely loved the idea of Spawn. Yeah. And sent me a contract straight away. And the plan is for there to be a couple more Spawn mm. anthologies. This first one is by Australian writers only. The next one will be open to Australasian writers. And the third one will be international. Awesome. Very cool. Yes, it is very cool. And your story's in it as well. So, And that's super cool. I know. It is exciting and a complete coincidence. <laughs> yes. There's no conflict of interest here. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I'm excited about that. That'll be great. Mother doll. I'm glad you liked it. Yay. <laughs> but um it's cool. So it's an anthology about motherhood, babies and pregnancy, isn't it? That was the concept, yeah, like yeah. weird experiences of that sort of stuff. Yeah, pregnancy, birth and babies. Weird horror stories. Which is like a really kind of weird experience in itself, isn't it? Like the weirdness in that is definitely there. So it's great to have the chance to explore that, I think. Yes. And, you know, the writers really came up with so many different takes um, on, on the theme. You know, it was terrific because one thing I didn't want to do was uh, limit the types of subgenres. I mean, generally speaking... It's a body horror anthology because obviously it deals with a 
transition in the body. <laughs> I mean, pregnancy and birth, I mean, you can't get more transitional than that. No. Um, so I said, look, anything. So, and I did get everything. I got everything from science fiction to dystopian to, you know, literary to, you know, phantasmagorical. I got a whole range of things. So it really is like... Um, you know, it is like a chocolate box. It's a cliche, I know, but, you know, you never know what flavour you're going to get with yeah. each story. And that, that's yeah. so often true with short stories. You sort of don't know what you're going to get and it's going to be a, an exciting, flavourful experience and, and it's going to be over quickly too, which is, and you'll go, wow. So, um, yes. yeah. When does that come yeah. out, Deb? I don't know. Um, it's going to be mid-year, I think. Cool. I haven't got the exact month, but I'm imagining by at least June it will be out. It could be a Great. little earlier. The thing is with ISWG, because of this whole COVID-19 thing, um, it's, it's kind of rattled their uh, production schedule, as it has yeah. for every single other publisher. Yeah. So, um, you know... Uh, it was supposed to come out in February, but it's been pushed pushed back yeah. to, to June. So I really hope people are, are reading more, like as a product of having more. Well, but then, I don't know, I guess we haven't really had more spare time. There's been a lot of stress and things to do as well. So, um, but, Well, yeah. I've had it on reasonable, reasonable good authority from, from a range of people in the, in the publishing industries that, um, you know, rates of purchasing books and magazines and so on has dropped. Yeah. And I think that's just a direct reflection of um, financial anxiety. Yeah. You know, yeah. if you're thinking, oh, my God, am I, can I buy the groceries this week? You're not going to go, oh, yeah. no, I'm going to spend 30 bucks on a book. You know, you're not going to yeah. do that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can turn a corner and get through the COVID crisis and, um, and things will pick up. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's been quite a kick in the teeth for lots of industries, but the publishing yeah. industry too. And, and I just know that a lot of writers have, have taken it very hard, like a lot of anxiety and, and yeah. depression, and that, that can be a real killer for, for creativity. So yeah. it's been tough all around. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what are you working on at the moment in your own writing? Well, at the moment, I'm doing a fair bit of promotional stuff, like author interviews and podcasts. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, the other the other day, I blocked out a short story, so I'll probably get started on that um, perhaps today. Yeah. I've got a novel all outlined and ready to go. I did have that ready last year, but then the idea for, for a novella hit me, the one that had the pandemic in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I just had to write that one while it was hot. So you ju- you juggle projects by the sounds of things. You've got lots of things demanding your attention, and um, mm. yeah, awesome. Well, I, I have found in the past, um, you know, an idea will hit me, and I go, "Wow, I love it!" And I'll <laughs> I'll write notes for it, and, I'll, and then I'll think, "I'll get back to that in <laughs> six months." Yeah. And and then I get back to it in six months, and all the enthusiasm has just died in me. Yeah, right. And so what I try to do is is I just try to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah. And, um, like, for example, when I was doing my novella, I actually stopped that a couple of times um, because I had, a, I had a couple of short stories that I really wanted to write. And I thought, if I don't 
if I don't grab these by the tail, they're just going to get away from me. Yeah. So, and the, the novella at that point was well established enough that I could safely break away from it without losing my threads. Right. Yeah. So um, I I do tend to, and it's also it's quite refreshing. Like it yep. can be a hard slog doing a long form um, project. Yep. And you can kind of feel a bit stale. Yeah. Uh, so I think if you do have the urge to just write something else that's short, yeah, I, I think it's always a good idea, as long as that urge isn't just procrastination. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you will well, actually get back to your long form project. Actually, I'm curious now too. So, when you finish um, a work, what's your process for editing and um, and that? Like, do you let it rest for a while and then read it again, or do you just send it straight to somewhere, or what do you do? Well, what I do, I mean, a lot of writers I I know they just start and they do not stop until they hit the end, and then that's their first draft. Yeah. Well, I can't. I can't write like that. I've got to edit as I go. Yeah. Um, because to me, it's like shooting for the moon. You know, if you're if you're one degree off at, at liftoff, yeah. well, one degree doesn't matter so much when you're near the Earth's surface. But by the time you get to the moon, you probably missed it by a hundred thousand <laughs> yeah. kilometers. Yeah. Right. So I'm always going back and re-editing. Yeah. Editing, 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 editing. So by the time I get to the end... It's in pretty good shape, I would think. Yeah, that, it is yeah. in pretty good shape. So then I yeah. do leave it, I go back, I do edit it. Yeah. Um, you know, I like, I like the workshopping process as well. I think yeah. it's important to have, um, you know, a, a writer who's got, you know, technical uh, knowledge and, and know-how uh, and then you just workshop your work back and forth and, and they can help point out, well, this doesn't make sense or yeah. this didn't hit right. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I, I am a fanatic when it comes to, to editing. I edit, edit, edit until I feel like I, honest to God, just cannot get it any better. And only then I, yeah. I send it out. Great. Cool. Well, just to have a last little question. Are you enjoying watching anything on TV or...? Well, I'm. I don't tend to watch much television. I Mm -hmm. I don't watch free to air TV very much, but Mm -hmm. I am going through a classic Hollywood old black and white phase at the moment. (laughs) I often go through those phases. Yeah. I'm watching, you know, The Maltese Falcon and Hitchcock's Rebecca. Awesome. uh, Double Indemnity with you know with Fred McMurray and Barbara Stanwyck. 1933 King Kong. Nice. I watched The Invisible Man with Claude Rains the other day. Um, oh, so so the old sci-fi. I just, just get sick of CGI and explosions and swearing and sex scenes. And... Yeah. I watched The Court Jester the other day, that old one. you seen The Court oh, Jester? Oh, what's about? Um, oh, it starts as a scary tale but ends as a fairy tale. Um, it's, oh. it's a... <laughs> It's a musical. Um, it's pretty fun. Made in the oh. in fifty five. There's um, a, uh, it's kind of a medieval sort of story. It's good. I like it. Oh, it sounds yeah. great. I'm gonna I'm gonna check it out. I mean, yeah. I love musicals as well. You yeah. know, nothing better than just curling up with a cup of tea and watching an old Hollywood MGM spectacular. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us today, Deborah. Um. It's well, it's been an absolute pleasure, and thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been lovely to talk. Okay, well, have a great rest of 2020 and all the best for 2021. <laughs> Same to you. See ya. Bye.